It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, July 17th, 2020. On this day in 1771, it's possible that one of the most infamous events in Indigenous Canadian history took place. According to the posthumously released journal of surveyor Samuel Hearn, a group of Dene tribe members killed 20 Inuit nomads. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today, we're covering the Bloody Falls Massacre in Kugaluktuk, Nunavut, Canada. Now, let's go back to July 17, 1771. Sessie walked up to the river and let her large pack slump from her back. She stomped through the grass and fell on her knees by the water, cupping her hands and drinking from the fresh stream. It was the kind of drink that fills your whole body with relief, as if the liquid is traveling through your veins and into every extremity. She then sat back, surveying the hills around the river. They were black and jagged, the rocks chipping away in chunks as the water slowly wore them down. The bright white sand at the riverbank mixed with the black rock as the hills grew in height, and then that gave way to grassy plains that went on for miles. It was beautiful now, with the sun setting over the scene in a display of orange and pink. She was grateful to be alive, Life was not always easy, traveling leagues each day on foot, constantly skinning and drying and butchering and cooking animals for the group. But she knew that it was best to enjoy these times while they lasted. Soon, the sun would disappear, and this would all be covered by a blanket of ice. Sessie got up from her rest and turned to find her family already setting up their tents and cooking stations. Tigwak was removing the pelt from a caribou, while Kuvagigai prepared her stone bowl for roasting. Seeing that they had these things well in hand, Sessie decided to help old man Tupelek with his tent. He smiled as she grabbed one of the support beams just as it was about to fall. Together, they leaned the branches on one another securely. Then they began to pile on the animal skins as Tupelek engaged Sessi in conversation. He'd seen her by the stream. Her face seemed at ease. She should be careful not to let her guard down. This world wanted to kill them. Sessi smiled at this. How could she forget? Every elder she had ever known had reminded her of this since she was a young girl. 
Don't wander too far from the group or a demon will capture you and make you into an old crone. Don't go swimming in the ocean or Sedna the water spirit will drag you to the bottom. Don't eat a creature of the land and a creature of the sea at the same time or their spirits will fight inside of you and make you sick. She told Tupolek that she wanted to enjoy the warm season while it lasted. Before long, she pointed out, they would be shivering in their igloos. Tupelec shook his head. The dark and cold were coming, but now they were sweating under the rays of the sun. Ceci shouldn't take Melina the sun goddess lightly. She could... Ceci interrupted him. Melina could send a disease to wipe all the men from the camp. She rolled her eyes at him as she let the final animal skin flop onto the side of his tent. He made a gesture at her, only half playfully, waving her away. It seemed like it would be best to spend some time with her fellow women if Melina was about to plague all of the men. So Ceci went further downriver where she found the old lady Desna fishing. The woman was almost inhuman, the way she could stand for hours, never taking her eyes off the water. Every few moments, her arm would move in one fluid motion, sending her spear hurtling into the stream. It would always stick straight up out of the water as it pinned yet another salmon. Desna already had a few dozen in a pile by her side. When she heard Ceci approach, she smiled and held out her spear. Ceci gave a nervous look, but took it anyway, turning her attention to the water. She had tried this many times, watching the old woman do it, but she herself could never master the movement. Perhaps this time would be different. She watched the white water rush by. She clenched the spear tightly, waiting, waiting. There, a flash of pink, her arms surged forward, flinging the spear at the salmon. The weapon went wide, striking a rock in the water and splitting in half. The pieces fell uselessly in the water and floated away downstream. Ceci turned back to Desna with a face full of guilt. But the old woman wasn't angry. She was barely concealing a laugh finding Ceci's failure extremely amusing. Ceci crossed her arms in frustration, but Desna merely swatted her on the bum and produced a new spear from her pack. When Ceci went to grab for it, Desna shook her head and pointed back toward camp. She wasn't about to lose another spear to the young girl's practice. After the sun had fallen, Ceci sat around the campfire, listening to Tupelec tell the children his cautionary tales. She tried to keep her mouth shut as she chewed on her dried salmon. As much as the elders got on her nerves, they knew what they were doing. She was only alive because of them. But as Tupelec had said, this land wanted to kill them. And tonight, it would get its way. It began in the early morning. Ceci was awoken from her slumber by the sounds of a commotion outside. It was unusual for anyone to move around in the cold. As she emerged, she was just in time to see Tupelec fall to the ground with a spear in his back. 
she barely had time to scream before arms grabbed her, throwing her forward. Searing hot pain shot through her back as spears were driven into her sides. She could not see her attackers, and so she crawled forward, the dirt bunching in her hands as she tried to escape. Soon, her fingers touched leather, and when she looked up, she found herself staring into the horrified face of a white man. His eyes welled with tears at the sight of her. Why wouldn't he help? If he thought her death so moving, why had he done nothing to prevent it? Next to him, men wearing the garb of one of the Dene tribes chided him for this weak display of emotion. He yelled at them in his tongue, and they shrugged. But then they turned back to her, and in one swift movement, they drove a spear into her heart. Next, we'll discuss the historical background of the Bloody Falls Massacre and whether it actually happened. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. The Bloody Falls Massacre of 1771 is an oft-debated topic in certain Canadian historical circles. The fact that it was a relatively small-scale event in a remote part of the world means that outside of one account, we have no way to know for certain if it actually occurred. The story comes to us from the Journal of Samuel Hearn, a representative of the British Crown working out of Prince of Wales Fort on Hudson Bay. He would administer local interests as well as conduct journeys into the tundra to discover any resources, especially copper, that the British might want to exploit. His trip to Bloody Falls was interesting in that he was accompanied exclusively by members of local indigenous groups, including the Yellow Knives Dene, descendants of the Athabascan people who migrated across North America from Alaska over the course of thousands of years. This is perhaps why they had some animosity toward the Inuit people. The Inuits were descended from the Thule people who had spread across Canada over the course of the last few centuries, as opposed to millennia. Hearn wrote about the Dene extensively, and his words were tinged with the racism inherent to his colonial mindset. He was unabashedly condescending. When discussing how the Dene painted their shields with images of the various nature spirits, he described their artistic ability as many degrees worse than our country sign painting in England. He also called those spirits imaginary and silly, as if belief in any supernatural identity outside of the Church of England's God was on its face ridiculous. And throughout many of the episodes described in his journal, he used adjectives such as savage and barbaric to characterize the indigenous peoples. And so it has to be noted that any portrayal of the Bloody Falls Massacre on his part needs to be read with some skepticism. He may have intentionally heightened certain details so as to further suggest that the indigenous Dene were savages in need of civilizing by the English. 
Emily Cameron, professor of geography and environmental studies, writes that not only did Hearn himself have bias, but the editors who published his journal did as well. The writing was made public in 1795, three years after Hearn died of the dropsy, which is not as fun as it sounds. The publishers had a vested interest in making Hearn's travels seem as adventurous and heroic as possible in order to sell more copies. But Lewis and Clark, he was not. The survey he was conducting didn't even lead to Hearn finding any copper, making the whole trip pointless. The version of the Bloody Falls Massacre described in the published journey details a methodical, unwavering slaughter as the united Dene descend upon a sleeping Inuit encampment. They kill men, women, and children, even an old woman fishing downriver. Professor Cameron suggests that modern research conducted among the indigenous peoples has resulted in evidence of a long-standing, violent conflict between the Dene and Inuits. However, some have suggested that if the massacre did happen, Hearn was probably not present for it. Ultimately, this is one crime that goes in the who-knows pile. It is perhaps most useful as a reminder that one of the most insidious weapons of colonial oppression is to focus the lens away from the crimes committed by white settlers and onto those potentially committed by indigenous people. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories about the early American settlers and the indigenous people they menaced, check out ParCast original, The Dark Side of Thanksgiving. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 